Good morning. It seems like these uh, Sunday comes around so quickly. I don't know if it's just me or if that's everybody, but uh, it's everybody. Good. It's not just me. Yeah, it's Wednesday comes around so quick. Next thing you know, it's Sunday and back in church, which is a good thing. Second Samuel chapter 12. We are on the ninth lesson of our uh, series about David. And we're going to kind of overlap this morning what we talked about uh, last week. And <clears throat> last week we were talking about daring to stay clean, daring to stay pure. And then today we're going to talk about daring to accept correction. So when that doesn't happen, uh, accept correction. Now remember this series, everything starts with dare to accept or dare to stay clean or dare to whatever because this is a series on facing our giants, David facing the giants in his life. And it's never easy to face a giant, right? So it's something we have to go out and purposely do. Staying clean, we have to do that on purpose. Accepting correction is not easy to do. It's not the natural thing to do. So we have to go out and purposely uh, accept correction. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, hopefully you're enjoying this series. I am. And uh, I enjoy studying it and, and, uh, and looking up different things on it. I enjoy delivering it and so hopefully you enjoy hearing it but second samuel chapter 12 verses 1 through 7 and we read these last week in the course of the lesson but we're going to focus on these verses this morning chapter 12 and verse 1 and the lord sent nathan unto david and he came unto him and said unto him there were two men in one city the one rich and the other poor the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Which, if that sounds strange, um, we, we had a pig that was like that when we were growing up. Um, it came running with the dogs. It came in the house every so often. It would literally, I mean, it was like a, one of the dogs. But this guy had that with a, with a little ewe lamb. In verse 4, And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was, kindled, was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And we'll save verse 7 here for a little bit later. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our lesson. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word freely without fear of um, police or authorities showing up and shutting us down. Uh, God, we take that for granted very often, I'm afraid. And, and uh, God, I thank you for that freedom. We still have to do that here in America. God, I pray that you would help the churches that are still fighting uh, the government and the authorities to even be open and let people into their churches. I pray that you give them strength. More than anything, I pray you'd give them wisdom, those pastors. Uh, God, they've got a lot weighing on them, and they've got a responsibility to you. So I pray you'd give them wisdom as they make decisions in those situations. Pray that you bless this time we have together here in Sunday school, and then bless the uh, morning service uh, as we gather around your word again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can see David um, in these first six verses. Uh, Samuel... And it's interesting that, that Samuel, Samuel has a tough job here. He was friends with David, 
Remember, he's the one that anointed David. So, so Samuel, at this point, is an old man. And uh, remember last week, we said that uh, it's very likely that David was around 50-ish years old, and that's why he didn't go out to battle. He knew it was going to be a long uh, a siege, siege, possibly. He knew um, that, that he had very capable generals and just didn't feel like going. So the Bible doesn't tell us why he didn't go. It just says he didn't go out when when it was time for the kings to go out to battle. But David's about 50 years old. I don't know exactly how old Samuel is here, but Samuel, <clears throat> David was a young man, probably a young teenager when he was anointed by Samuel, who was already the man of God, the prophet uh, at that point. So, so Samuel's an old man here, but God gives him an, a job, and, and he tells him, go to David and confront him about this sin. And... Uh, I think often that, that I, t I mentioned this last week, pastors, um, actually I think I might have mentioned it Wednesday when I preached, but I, anyways, we g give our pastors, we make their job a lot harder than it should be because when they do come to correct or when they do come to preach on sin, we don't accept it. We, we fight against it, we push back, we uh, blame them. Um, but so Samuel has a hard job here and he comes to David who not only is in sin, but he's also the king. It's not just like another church member that he doesn't want to lose, you know, or whatever. This is the king of Israel and he has to come to him because God sent him and he does it very wisely. I think he gives him a parable and you, it's obviously pretty wise because David doesn't realize what he's even saying. He understands that this rich man took the one sheep that this guy had and it correlates so well to David. David had everything. And we'll read that here in a few, in a verse 8 and going forward when, when uh, Samuel's correcting David. But David had everything. And then it says in verse 8 or 9, if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more. This is God speaking to David. I would have given you more if you needed it. <clears throat> but he decides to take this one man, Uriah's wife. He takes this man's one possession that he has. And... We'll, we'll, we'll go through it. It's, it's hard not to get ahead of myself uh, because the story just kind of flows. But Psalm chapter 32, verses 3 and 4 says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture <clears throat> is turned into the drought of summer. This is David when he's going through this time before he repents. So David... David's heart was actually fairly soft. He fell. It happens. It does happen. We're, we're human. He fell, but he didn't want to get it right. And there's a few reasons, and we'll look at these in a second, maybe why he didn't want to get right. I think, I think David did want to get right, but he didn't want to, to admit the wrong. And it's impossible. Repentance is not, it's, it's not repentance without admitting I'm wrong. Whatever the consequences have to be because of that, right? Um, if you say, and we do this with Emma all the time, um, you know, if she's, if she's got a bad attitude or a rebellious spirit or whatever toward me or my wife, when she gets in trouble, after she's been corrected, the next step is you're going to go say sorry to mom for having that attitude toward her. And we don't accept, sorry, mom. That's not repentance. That's not true uh, sorrow for what she did. I want her attitude to change, and, and, she, and we make her say, Mom, I'm sorry for having a bad attitude or for talking back to you or whatever she actually did because then you know she's 
at least recognizing what she did wrong and, and asking uh, forgiveness for that. But that's what David does here. He, he doesn't take care of it. He may be in his heart. Is it begging God to forgive him? You know, uh, certainly you've done that before. You, you get into something you shouldn't, and we don't want anybody to find out about it. But we go to God secretly, and there's nothing wrong with that, and ask for forgiveness. But David had done something very public. This sin was very public. And the Bible talks about uh, sin that's done publicly will be, will be punished publicly. Um, but that's where David's at in Psalm chapter 32. He's in the middle of this do I repent and get it right, or what, what am I supposed to do? And he says, when I kept silence, when I kept this sin bottled up inside of me, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. David has an erring, an erring heart here. He goes astray from the way that God, God had for him. And we talked about that on Wednesday night. When you get off that path God has for you, he has to correct you and sometimes it can be something as simple as the pastor or a friend coming to you and say hey I can see where you're headed it's not a, it's not a good way and you need to get that right and and it can be that simple we can repent and get back on that path but David takes a little bit longer than that and it takes the man of God Samuel coming to him and and correcting him look at verse <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 7 and read all the way through verse uh, 12, verse 13. But I want you to see when, when Samuel corrects David, you can tell how, how much of a battle he's got going on inside of him. And this has been months. This is months away from the, his sin with Bathsheba when Samuel finally comes to him. But look at verse 7 in chapter 12. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. So Verse 6, David says, whoever did this, he's going to kill, he should die, and he should restore fourfold uh, what he took from this poor man. Verse 7, and Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Remember, David, David was not royalty. David was not, he didn't come up in a palace. God gave him the kingdom. In every sense of that word. Now, yeah, uh, God gave Saul the kingdom, but say Jonathan became king behind Saul. He was just royalty. He was the next in line, right? God took the kingdom away from Saul and gave it to David. And that's what he says here. I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and give, gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. That's where he's saying, if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more if you needed it or wanted it. Verse 9, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. In verse 13, this is where I'm talking about... Um, the battle going on in David because as soon as he's corrected verse 13 David said unto Nathan I have sinned against the Lord 
And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Remember, verse 6, David said, Whoever did this, he's, he needs to die. Whoever took this one little lamb from the poor man, he needs to die and repay. And, and Samuel tells him, You're not going to die because the Lord has put away thy sin from you. But David immediately says to Nathan, uh, to Nathan, I keep saying Samuel, I'm sorry. Nathan, the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. David goes astray. And, and I, I underlined a bunch of things in this book because I wanted to make sure that I uh, read them. But why would David, why would he not come back? Who's going who's gonna to confront the king and say uh, anything against him if he, if he repents of his sin? Nobody's going to come to him and say, Oh, you're a sinner like they maybe would to a normal person or, you know, a bad reputation like a normal person would get maybe. I underline this. When we're away from God and we know it, what keeps us from truly repenting of our sin and coming back? As long as things are going well, it's because we enjoy the sin and we hope and believe we'll get away with it. And we covered that in, other, in a, a previous section of this uh, series. But once, when we're living in sin, as long as things are going okay, we continue in the sin and believe we're going to get away with it. Remember, we can sin, but we don't get to choose the consequences, right? That's what David's got going on here. But he continues in the sin because everything's going fine. Uh, nothing really changed in David's life until uh, the, the baby is born and, and the baby gets sick, right? Um, Another reason we don't truly repent of our sin is when things start going wrong, our pride keeps us from admitting that we are wrong because we want everybody else to think we're okay. Um, um, I can't remember where I heard the, oh, it was on the, on the mountain when we were camping um, that a, a guy, I don't even remember his name, I'm, I'm not familiar with him, but he talked about God giving him cancer because of a sin that he was involved in that he was completely ignoring, and he said he, he truly believes God gave him cancer because of something he was involved in. And he's a, he's a, a teacher, and, and a, I don't think he's a pastor, but he does a lot of preaching. But that's another reason we don't repent of our sin. As long as when things do start going wrong, our pride wants to make sure everybody doesn't think it's because we've got some kind of sin going on. We want other people to approve of us, and we're afraid that if we tell the truth, they won't approve of us. So we'd rather pretend we're okay than do what it takes to really get okay. Um, and that and that's pretty much sums up exactly kind of what goes on in our hearts and minds when we're in sin. When God doesn't correct us and nothing seems to be going all out of whack, we just keep on going on in our sin. When it does start to go haywire, we try to hide it. We try to prove everybody to everybody else it's okay. These are just odd circumstances. But then when other people do know it's because of our sin, we, we try to get them to approve of us. If we would truly live our lives for God's approval, um, we would, we would get rid of and get taken care of sin in our lives immediately. And it doesn't have to be some kind of crazy, you know, sin that we're going to get kicked out of the church for. It could be something as small as bitterness. It could be, and I say as small, Bible talks about the root of bitterness. It'll, it'll envelop your whole life. Um, I was going to tell, a, I, I will give you an illustration. The root of bitterness, uh, the Bible doesn't exactly talk about 
isn't talking about this because the root is what feeds the whole plant, right? The root, uh, so the root of bitterness it takes over your whole life. But we've had gas lines before that the roots wrap around the gas lines. You can't even tell it's there anymore. It's completely wrapped around the gas line. And people will go to Sawzall and Autumn and cut right through the gas line. That's not really the root of bitterness. That's not what God's talking about uh, with a gas line. But it's a good illustration that that root of bitterness just takes over our entire lives. It could be something simple like that. It could be something as simple as a bad attitude. It could be, it could be anything that we need to repent of. It doesn't have to be something as big as what David was involved in here. But if we let it go, it will take over our lives. And, and Psalm 32, we'll, we will be like David. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Uh, <clears throat> so David goes astray here. But then David is made aware of it by Samuel. Thou, or by Nathan, I'm sorry. Thou art the man. And imagine that silence when David finally realizes what Nathan's talking about this whole time. And he says, I have sinned, in verse, in verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. There's no more, no more hiding it. No more trying to act like nothing's wrong. No more trying to pretend that Uriah died and it was an accident. I have sinned against the Lord. Obviously, David knows that Nathan knows exactly what happened. God has given him this insight. He knows exactly what happened. And he says, you know what? Instead of trying to hide it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it right and go forward. Whatever the consequences are, uh, Nathan already told him what the consequences were going were gonna to be. Now, therefore, in verse 10, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take thy wives. And going on, thou didst it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Have you ever been in that situation where you're trying to hide something, maybe just so, just so you don't get embarrassed about it or whatever, and it finally comes out and you go, All right, how do we, get, how do we take care of it? How do we move forward? That's what David does here. Uh, <clears throat> I've been in that situation. I remember, I remember being younger and... and uh, I'll give you a quick story. So my parents went to, I think, Jamaica one year. They always did business meetings. And they went to Jamaica one year. The, the company sent them down there. And they brought back a baby shark in a, in a little glass of formaldehyde. And it had a little, little plaque on it saying what it was and everything. And my parents put it on, or my mom put it on the mantle. And uh, <clears throat> they also bought a, a sand, the sand art, you know, in the bottles. And it's in the different layers and all that. Well, one day my brother, Johnny, not, not pastor, but he got a, a can of soda or something from Sunday school, and he wanted everybody to play a game. So he, he hid this can of soda, and he actually hid it. It wasn't even on the mantle. It was somewhere else up that direction. But he uh, played a game, you know, hot and cold. All right, you're getting cold. You're getting cold. So everybody turned around and come the other direction. You're getting hot. You're getting hot. And like three or four of the little kids grabbed a hold of that mantle to look up, and the thing just tipped. It wasn't, it wasn't actually anchored down, and it tipped, and that, that shark crashed on the ground and, and opened up, and the, the sand art crashed on the ground, and the back of it broke open. And so we had, had a little, you know, the glass jars that Arizona tea used to come in, the blue jars? We stuck the shark in that with water and took just didn't put it back on the mantle. We hid it in the closet 
and then we put the sand art back up there, completely turned around so you couldn't tell. And I don't know how long it took my mom to figure it out, I don't remember, but I do remember being terrified that she was going to walk in the door and look over there, you know, which she wasn't, she didn't know anything about it. So anyway, probably days, if not a couple weeks go by and she finally turned that art around and noticed that it was broken and said, who broke this? Where's the shark that was up here? And that was the end of it. You're not, you're not getting away with it anymore. So the story spills out, you know, we tell her everything that happened. And to be honest, we probably wouldn't even have gotten in trouble had we just said we broke the shark, you know, the glass. But that's kind of what happens with David here. He's hiding it and hiding it and hiding it. And it's bottled up in him. Remember, he says, my bones waxed old from trying to hide it until Nathan comes to him. And then he just spills it out. I've sinned against the Lord. What do I need to do? So David uh, in Psalm chapter 51 and verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but the reason... God was so angry with David is not necessarily because of his sin. He was upset because of the sin. But it's because he, in verse 9, thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. It's not that just you just broke this commandment. You despised the commandments of the Lord because when you realized you broke it, you didn't do anything about it. Romans chapter 2, verse 24 says this, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. That's what happened here, is David, uh, verse 14, if you're still in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, Nathan says this, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. But that's what happens here. David, <clears throat> God can't let this sin go unpunished. Because, we, and we, we talk about this when we're presenting the gospel, but God is not just a loving God, he's a just God. He has to punish the sin. And even more so because David gave occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme. Uh, this, this man after God's own heart, this great warrior that had delivered the Israelites from the Philistines, has now given the Philistines and the other enemies an occasion to blaspheme God. David then has an open heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I was just talking to somebody about this. I can't remember who it was uh, in church, I think on Wednesday. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If, if, you, have, if you have outbursts of anger, or you have outbursts of anxiety, or you have... Uh, I've, I've seen this before. I was in Bible college and, I, and a kid come down the hall and somebody hollered at him and he cussed at him and everybody just shocked. Where does that come from? The abundance of the heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Um, but David's heart was tender and we've already talked about this, but in, in uh, verse 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. But in verse 15, Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. It was very sick. 
David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the first thing I thought when I read these two these verses is, Nathan already told you the kid, the baby's going to die. Why are you praying and fasting and all the rest of that to try to get the baby to live? But Moses did the same thing. Remember when God said, I'm, you know what? I'm tired of these Israelites. I'm going to wipe them completely out. I'm going to start over. And Moses begs God, please don't destroy him. Please don't do that. And God changes his mind. He repents of the evil that he was going to do to the Israelites. No doubt David knows about that. David, David knows that story. And uh, so he goes to God and he begs him to, to save the child. Uh, it doesn't sp- specifically say that he's asking him to save the child, but he's fasting and praying. What else would he be praying for? Um, but, but David goes to God and, and, and tries to see this child, his life saved. And, and probably uh, part of it is it's David's fault. He knows this child's going to die because of me. There's nothing that this child did. And, and uh, I underline this too. I can't even claim that this is my thoughts. But in, in our series here, in this lesson, it says, When was the last time I fasted, prayed, and wept on behalf of someone else? And then he says, even more so, in, the context, in context with this lesson, when was the last time I fasted, prayed, and wept on behalf of someone else whose life had been hurt because of my sin? Uh, think about your kids. When's the last time you wept and prayed and fasted for God to uh, help you raise your children for him because you've made mistakes? Uh, how often do we do that? And if not, it's no wonder that so many of us are having children grow up that don't live for God. We're not even praying for the ones that are closest to us. And we hear messages on uh, sharing the gospel, and we weep and pray over the souls of, of the lost, but do we weep and pray over the lives of our own children, and the souls of our own children, for that matter, if they're not saved? But uh, David fasts and prays and weeps uh, over the, the life of this child. And I, I wanted to read this illustration too because it's it's uh, a good example of what the unsaved see when they look at the life of a Christian so this is the story a pen salesman came to a small store owner you know how you get those pens with your name on your business name on them or whatever in the mail and they're trying to sell you pens well this is before that time this guy went to the stores is trying to sell pens uh, to these business owners and so he for about 30 minutes, he talks to this business owner about how these pens are going to make such a difference in advertising, and every time somebody comes in, you can give them one of these pens. So the guy says, all right, fine, I'll order 500 of your pens. We'll see what, how it goes. So the business or the salesman pulls out the, the uh, paperwork, and he's going to sign everything off and order the pens. And as soon as he started that, the business owner said, you know what, cancel my order, I don't, I don't want any of those pens. And he went into the back office and shut the door, and the, bus- the salesman's just standing there confused, and finally he packs up all his stuff and says, all right, well, if he dis- changes his mind, let me know. And the secretary said, all right, have a good day. And the secretary, confused herself, went to the, to the businessman and knocked on the door, and he opened up the door like nothing had happened, and she, and she said, what was all that about? That was actually really embarrassing. And he said, that man just went on for 30 minutes about how the pens he's going to sell me are the best pens out there and they're going to do so much good for our business and everything else. 
And when he pulled out his pen to do the paperwork, he was using a different brand. If he doesn't believe in his brand of pen enough to use it, I don't want it. And that's what I think so often we talk to those at work and we witness to them and tell them how good God is. And then when something comes into our life, we're the, we're the most anxious person out there. Why would they want that? And they say, you know what? If what you're telling me works doesn't work for you, then I don't want any parts of it. Simple illustration, but there's a lot of truth in it. God wants us to rely on him, but he, but he wants us, as we see in verse 14, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. He wants us to not give an occasion for the enemy to blaspheme what we've been preaching to them about uh, for so long, however long we've worked with them or however long we've lived next to them or whatever it is. And then lastly and quickly, David has a repentant heart. The definition of repentance is that voluntary change, this is from Strong's uh, Systematic Theology, that voluntary change in the mind of the sinner in which he turns from sin. Being essentially a change of mind, it involves a change of view, a change of feeling, and a change of purpose. Um, and repent, the word repent, or some form of the word repent, is found in the scriptures 112 times. It's, it's found all throughout. But a involves a change of view, a change of feeling, and a change of purpose. And that's what David does here. David confesses his sin, he turns from it, and essentially he repents of his sin. That word is not found in this passage, but he repents of his sin. Uh, David knew that in order for his life to go on, he was going to have to get this taken care of. And that's why he does that in verse uh, 13. I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51 verse 17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Um, you ever been, uh, you ever went to tell somebody you're sorry and it made the situation worse because they're not willing to forgive you? You tell them sorry and they say, yeah, whatever, you're not sorry. And now you're mad because they won't accept your apology. David knew and says that in Psalm 51 verse 17. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. God never says, yeah, you think you're sorry? You should be. God doesn't do that to us. He accepts it. He brings us in and he says, all right, now here's what we need to do to get back on track, to get, get, get our life figured out. Doesn't mean there's no consequences. Uh, we think sometimes that if we you know, make a mistake or we sin, we can go to God and, and hurry up and get it taken care of before anything's going to happen. There's still consequences, and David knows that. Uh, Nathan just told him that going through verses 10 through 13. But he's willing to accept those consequences as long as his heart can be back in tune with God. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And then David is relieved, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her. And she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. David has his son Solomon, but David is relieved as, as we've already talked about going through this, this lesson. When, God, when he finally gets that acceptance from God, okay, I forgive you for everything you've done. You've, you've broken three of my commandments. You've committed adultery, you've murdered, and you've lied. Uh, you've bore false witness, three of them in this very quick time frame. But David comes to God and he repents and God 
accepts that broken and contrite heart. And David, and if you read Psalm 51, we're, we're pretty familiar with that passage, but that is David, David, uh, David's broken heart, weeping out his prayer to God for everything that he's been through in the last however many months since his, since his sin of, uh, with Bathsheba and killing Uriah. We, we kind of overlook that sometimes, the sin with Bathsheba, but he killed one of his best friends, one of his, one of his most loyal servants. Um, the Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, David is relieved because of the truth found in this verse. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Uh, God, <clears throat> we talk about this on Wednesday, God doesn't chasten us to beat us down into the dirt so that we can't get back up again so that he can move on and use somebody else. He chastens us so that we can get back on the path that he has for us so that he can use us, so that we can gain the rewards he wants to give us, and so on and so forth. But Proverbs chapter 24, a just man falleth seven times and riseth yet again. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And we can take comfort in that. When God is correcting us, it's not because he hates us. It's not because we're worthless. It's because he loves us. He chastens even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. God delights to see his children on his path, doing his work, serving him, and free and clear of sin. Doesn't mean we never sin. means we get it taken care of when we do. And that's the lesson we get from David here. David, David messed up big time. We mess up sometimes big time. I mean... On a grand scale, things we never thought we would do. But a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. He promises us that. Uh, but he will correct us. He will give us consequences for those sins. So that's the, that's the lesson here today. Uh, when you do sin, come back to God quickly. Remember, the Bible says if we regard iniquity in our heart. The Lord will not hear us. It's not that he can't hear us. He refuses to hear us. He will not hear us. Uh, and so if we're holding sin in our lives now, doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be some kind of crazy sexual sin. It can be something simple that God says, I've been, I've been after you on this for a long time and you won't get it right. I will not hear you. But if we come to him, he won't, he won't despise that broken heart. And he'll accept our, our sorrow, accept our apology, accept our repentance, and he will forgive us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for the life of David. God, a man after your own heart, but, but it's also an honest story in your word of how men fail. But it's also a, a wonderful story of how the, the pattern for how we get that sin taken care of, how we can come back to you and how you accept uh, that heart of, of sorrow, that heart of repentance. God, I pray that you would help us as your people to not give an occasion for your enemies to blaspheme against you. Pray that we would get sin taken care of quickly. And God, that we would live our lives as close to you as we can so we can avoid those sins. But when we do, I pray we'd get them taken care of. Pray that you bless this next hour. God, I pray that you be with our pastor as he preaches, that you give him wisdom and give him power, and that you'd open our hearts to accept what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.